Hello and welcome to the Red Room. Our guest today is T-shirted historian, um, Hello. YouTuber, and uh, what else? <laughs> <laughs> historian and T-shirted. That's it. Yeah, historian t who wears T-shirts uh, and That's YouTuber and miniature painter and video gamer. <laughs> okay, let, let's start by the name. Why T-shirted historian? I suppose you're an historian and T-shirt means uh, something like you like uh, pop culture. It's... Well, I do like pop culture, but uh, I do in fact own over 40 something T-shirts uh, because I just, I like them. I mean, you know, some guys like to be professional and wear, you know, button downs and things like that. I really like T-shirts. I think they're comfortable. <laughs> okay, makes sense. Okay. Do you collect t-shirts, sorry, with like pop culture references? Because there's a Absolutely. lot of them. Of course. Of course you do. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And they're not cheap either. Yeah, yeah, they're not. Let's start a bit about um, your YouTube channel. When it started, why it started, um, what it is, because probably some of the, the viewers won't know what it is. So let's explain it. Well, uh, I actually got started on YouTube um, after seeing a lot of other YouTubers uh, talking about pop culture and stuff, mostly uh, guys like Nerdrotic and Doomcock and things like that. And I made contact with uh, one of them named Fat Steven Seagal, and we actually became pretty good friends. And it's funny how we met because, um, you know, he was going around YouTube saying, you know, calling himself Fat Steven Seagal, and I informed him, I said, uh, you know, I've actually taken Aikido lessons in uh, Steven Seagal's dojo. <laughs> so, technically, I'm one of his students. <laughs> Although I've never actually met Steven Seagal, um, I did uh, train under his uh, top student. Um, oh my gosh, whose name escapes me at the moment, but it's uh, been so long ago. But uh, yeah, we, we hit it off. Uh, he introduced me to some other guys like Pop Culture Minefield, and they gave me an opportunity to start on YouTube. And from there, I eventually started my own channel, which uh, I discuss things like Dungeons and Dragons and pop culture and just anything that interests me. Uh, video gaming, game unboxing, just whatever. Uh, you know, it's kind of a hodgepodge of a channel. It doesn't how have long, any one particular thing. How long have you started this channel? I started in uh, May of last year mm. and uh, still going and almost to uh, 360 subscribers, almost. Oh, okay. it's, it's a recent channel. I, I was uh, um, thinking if you, if you had that, uh, that name in the Twitter before or, or it was uh, started as a channel and then you went for Twitter. Uh, I mean, the, the name, I mean, the T-shirted historian, of course, which is... Yes. Okay, so uh, you talk about several things. Um, one of them is uh, role-playing games, which is uh, our um, most important theme here, but not only not only that one. How we how did you start in um, role-playing games? Uh, let let's uh, let's go. To, yeah, we're we'll gonna start before. with that right, and then move on to other, other topics. Well, let's see. I think the year was uh, 1980, maybe 1981. And, uh, you know, I'm, I was a young kid, uh, maybe nine, 10 years old. 
uh, I'm at my local uh, YMCA, you know, Young Men's Christian Association, and somebody had left uh, the original Moldvay Red Basic book. Uh, they just left it behind uh, at one of the places. So I picked it up, started reading it, and, you know, I got uh, pretty interested in Dungeons and Dragons. Because uh, before this, my only experience with role playing games was uh, the old Tunnels of Doom game on the TI 994 a So. I don't know what it is. <laughs> is it <laughs> old, video game? Uh, yeah, it's an old, the Texas Instruments 994 a It was an old computer that uh, used to do all of its programming language in basic. I had, well, here we have the Z, Z, ZX Spectrum. Usually it's, it was the first, well, not that old, not that old, I think. It started in 81, I think. Yeah, actually, there. Uh, I think the TI was around before then. Yeah, probably before. I think uh, that there were things before that one, yeah. But in Europe, I don't think they were popular. So no. uh, never heard about it. We were behind on that. Of course we were. <laughs> So then, uh, so you started a long time ago. Mm -hmm. This is uh, going to be, this is almost my 40th year in gaming. Yeah, that's a long time. I started in 99. So uh, after that, but what, uh, what else did you play? Other games besides D&D? Oh, besides D&D? Gosh, let me see. Um, being a kid, I didn't have access to a lot of money. And I didn't have access to a lot of games, so it wasn't really until my teen years that I broke out and found more games to play. So we played things like uh, Cyberpunk 2020, Vampire the Masquerade, the old Justifiers RPG, um, Warhammer. I believe it was still first or second edition at that time. I think it's still first edition. Um, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Yeah. Uh and of course, uh, some of the various uh, Warhammer board games. Uh, I still have a, an actual original Warhammer 40,000 Rogue Trader Edition hardback that I bought um, back when I was in high school. Um, we did play the uh, Palladium role-playing games, mostly Robotech, and then later on Rifts when it came out. Um, Ghostbusters, the original one from West End Games, yeah. the old Star Wars West End game. That's, that's a classic. Uh, yeah, that's a good one too. It still it still holds up very well. Yeah, most people uh, prefer that one to the to the new one. I think not a surprise. <laughs> not a surprise. Um, it wasn't until you know much 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 later that uh, I was introduced to other things like um, RuneQuest and things like that. Uh, although I did get Call of Cthulhu very early on, and that was. Uh, Pretty fun. Yeah, that's changed my my way of gaming because uh, that was the first one after Dungeons and Dragons, and I usual since then I usually play uh, horror games, not fantasy. Where most okay. uh, are most uh, horror games people here. So what what are gaming now? These days, uh, let's see. I on Tuesdays uh, I play a fifth edition game with some friends. Um, and then on Thursdays, uh, I and another GM, we switch off every few weeks. He runs uh, what we just 
call like three point Pathfinder because basically it's a combination of 3.0, 3.5, and Pathfinder all kind of jammed together and mishmashed and in a working state. And we've been playing that for like 20 years. Um, and then I myself, uh, at the moment, I'm running Godbound, which is an OSR, but I'm going to be doing Castles and Crusades pretty soon. Yeah, I've heard about that in on Twitter. So you you haven't fed, you aren't fed up with fifth edition yet. I see. Oh no, I'm I'm quite fed up with the direction it's going. I'm I'm kind of fed up with uh, a lot of its fan base. Um, you know, the game system itself is. It's okay. Uh, I don't honestly find it to be all that special because it gives you the illusion that there are a lot of choices and possibilities and things like that. But when you're coming from 3.5 and Pathfinder 1st Edition, you know what character customization and choices really are because those games have so many archetype and uh, class and race combinations that you can pretty much make just about any single type of character you want using that system. Whereas you get to 5th edition, and not only does it limit your choices, but uh, I have noticed that with 5th edition, there is a meta to uh, all of your choices. Like if you didn't pick this particular class with this particular race, you're going to be somehow underpowered or less important than somebody who happened to pick the right race and class combination and did all their studying to know what the best things were. And I don't like that. Yeah, yeah so it's not even... Some classes or some archetypes have a, a better... How can I say? Development. Mm-hmm. Better prospects. I've never played Pathfinder. Isn't it supposed to be a bit cumbersome in the rules-wise? Okay. Uh, well, the thing is, Pathfinder came out as a result of 3.5 shifting over the fourth edition, mm-hmm. and you know nobody likes to talk about fourth edition. Um, yeah, it was a failure, right? Big time. Yeah. Uh, they. Wizards of the Coast lost a lot of players to, in 4th edition because they didn't want to play that style. It was so different from 3rd edition. Uh, and because the OGL was still going at the time, the you know the open gaming license, uh, Paizo, who had been publishing uh, the Dragon and Dungeon magazine at that time, I think, uh, just decided, hey, we're going to... We're going to take this OGL and we're going to make our own version of Dungeons and Dragons, except we're going to call it Pathfinder. And they took a lot of the stuff from 3.5 and they streamlined it even further and they refined it and they made it even better. And one of the best things that they did was 3.0 and 3.5 were very, very reliant on prestige classes, which if you remember what those are from 3.0, 3.5, you would look at a prestige class ahead of time because you couldn't access it until earlier, any earlier than sixth level. That's just kind of the way that the game was set up. So what you'd be doing is you'd have to plan your character out ahead of time, picking a certain class to fit with another certain class and getting a particular set of skills in order to 
match the requirements to get into the prestige class. And then you could play a whole new class, which had, you know, different abilities that kind of used the two classes that you had already. Um, and it was a good idea at first, but, uh, you know, basically you were kind of pigeonholing yourself. You were, you were basically cookie cuttering your character to fit the mold of the prestige class instead of really having the freedom to build the character you wanted. Yeah, that doesn't seem very uh, playable. You're playing, thinking about the future and how to grow your character and not actually into the game. Exactly. And, you know, and at some point, you know, you'd even be like, uh, well, what is the point of doing this? Because, you know, by the time you get to your prestige class, it's six level. And as we know from research, uh, you know, most of your games shut down around sixth level or fifth level just because the the challenges get to be ridiculous beyond that because you know the characters have a lot of hit points and so many resources that they most of your typical challenges are not challenging anymore but uh pathfinder also had prestige classes but they didn't lean on it as much as 3.5 and 3.0 instead what they did is they built archetypes which were uh basically character uh, changes that you could make uh, based on a particular type of uh, idea. And those would come into effect immediately for the most part. And you could put multiple archetypes together as long as they didn't interfere with one another. Uh, a really good example of that is take your third edition monk or your Pathfinder monk. One of the archetypes that uh, we love a lot is called the Zen Archer monk. And instead of doing punching attacks with Flurry of Blows, instead they get to shoot arrows using that same skill. Uh, and they get all kinds of bow feats that just make them just, you know, god-awful at ranged combat. Um, honestly, it's, it's like the best shooting class in the entire game from what we've seen. Um, but you could do things like that. Uh, you know, they had cavaliers that could be converted over to samurai or rogues that could be converted over to ninjas and stuff like that. Uh, you know. It's more like it a development and not a totally different class, if that's what I'm understanding. I'm getting it right. Yeah, it it, it, it changes the way you, you play your class on such a fundamental level that it's, it's, you know, you could have five fighters in the same party but if they all took different archetypes, no two fighters would play exactly the same. And that would, and that's from first level, and that's what made it really fun, because you really could tweak and enjoy your characters and play them, and you didn't worry so much about, um, you know, necessarily so, covering all your bases. From someone that, uh, okay... Uh makes videos about pop culture and is a gamer, what do you think is the success of uh, Dungeons and Dragons, since we see that most of the fans are really not happy for a long time with the direction that is taking. So it's is it a brand issue? At least the the, the old fans. Yes, the old fans. Maybe, Maybe that, not that I would fans. say is the base the, the fan base probably. Well, my observation is um, being an old fan myself. When I, I wanted to get into 5th edition, uh, I didn't find the price point to be too high, so that was not the problem. Uh, the books were not written 
very difficult. In fact, um, it's easier. It's less rules crunchy than 3.5 and 3.0. So it has that as an advantage. But like I said, uh, your classes are more limited. Uh, your races are more limited. Uh, and part of the success of 5th edition also kind of came heavily from a combination of COVID shut-in and um, Critical Role. Yeah. Which, which you know... Explains a, a lot, right? Everybody misses Critical Role when you're talking about 5e. Well, I mean, it's I've, it's true. I've tried watching a bit, but it's uh, it's not role playing. No, it isn't. Uh, I mean, you know, these guys are all paid actors. Um, they work off of cues and things. They have certain things pre-planned ahead of time. It's a show. Yeah. But it's a good show if yeah. you know if you rent. Yeah, if you if you wanted to run the perfect D and D game, that's what it would run like. Yeah, that's good to attract new gamers. So probably that's what they are hoping on attracting new gamers, because D and D was always the the game people started with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I started with it with D and D. Even if I didn't play it a long time, I, I played a couple of years, uh, three years at, at tops. But at the time, uh, we didn't have, of course, nothing like that. Yes, um, you know, and I, you know, people talk about the the Mercer effect as part of a problem with fifth edition, and that is, you know, people would watch Critical Role, and they would expect, oh, this is the way that all D and D fifth edition games are supposed <laughs> to run, and then they get into an actual fifth edition game with guys who maybe haven't showered or who have kids and. <laughs> You know, or are real life problems and stuff like that, and can't make it to every session, and it's like, and, and they become disillusioned with it, and you know, that's that becomes a turnoff. Yeah. Um, and the other part of it too is we is there was a lot of people who watch Critical Role because basically it's a reality show, but uh, they don't actually play the D and D game, and yet they still feel like they have input on how the game should be played or run based on their own uh, personal biases. That reality show part, I haven't uh, noticed yet. What uh, What do you mean about that? It's uh, They interact out of game also? Um, when, I, when I mean reality show, I mean like, you know, uh, if you watch the old reality shows on TV, you know... A lot of that stuff is scripted yeah, or yeah, it is yeah. uh, or it's manufactured in some yeah. way to heighten the tension and the drama and things like the that. The first ones, the first yeah. the reality shows. Yeah. OK. Those on MTV mm -hmm. and something like that. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and Critical Role is no different. Uh, as a matter of fact, I find it funny because now Critical Role is in its third season. And they said at the start of third season that they were going to record pre-record a bunch of these episodes and then just play them out on the normal night that it's supposed to air. Well, now people are starting to say more and more that it really feels more like it's scripted, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just like, well, yeah, we were trying to tell you all along that it was. You didn't believe us. You thought it was all spontaneous. But is it uh, losing uh, audience now? I don't really know. I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen the numbers. I mean, you know what? It's a, what, $9 million um, a year industry? Something like that? Yeah. So, it's so been it, 
So. It's big, so yeah, it's it's doing well, I guess. Uh, you know, they have lots of merchandise and things. Um, you know, this, certainly this three years ago only. Uh, I believe so. Actually, I, I think they started out on Geek and Sundry, which was like a little YouTube channel type mm-hmm, thing. Yeah, yeah um, I, know the, I know that channel. I think I, I didn't know that they started there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh well. Yeah, but they started three years ago. Yeah, it was all through during COVID. Most mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, most of it. I have uh, the when I started uh, listening about that, I thought that it was a uh, it had started before. So uh, okay, no, it started lo- all, always big. So it, when it started, uh, I I had uh, the notion that it had uh, been uh, growing, but okay, so if it started three years ago, there wasn't much growth. They started big already. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, it's YouTube and. Things, things like that, uh, are bound to to get a lot of audience. Yeah, and that's that's part of the problem. I think is, you know, it's not so much that I I don't like Critical Role. I'm glad that it brought a lot of people to role playing. Um, the problem is a lot of the fans are, for lack of a better word, kind of toxic. Mm-hmm. Um. They seem to have some kind of a concerted uh, problem with, uh, you know, grognards like myself or maybe you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, old players who've been in this and, you know, they, they bring up all these problems and things in the games that either aren't problems or were never problems or were problems that we figured out a long time ago because we, we had enough experience to play. Yeah, they talk about gatekeeping, but when people that are in the hobby for a long time, and it's not my case, because there was a time that I wanted to play role plays, but I didn't have a group, so I basically played online, because uh, I didn't have people to play in the, the real world, so I played by forum. But they, these these people, they create, they are the ones actually gatekeeping because people are were happy, right? If new people came into the hobby, they were like, "Yes, mm-hmm. come and play with us. We don't care about your politics. We don't care about your skin color. We don't care about your gender. We don't care about anything. You want to play? Cool." Yeah, uh, and for some reason, there is a some kind of bias or 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 some some kind of garbage out there where you know people say well you know the 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 dnd hobby the ttrpg hobby excluded women for the longest time and i'm like that is complete you know caca de toro um you know it's like yeah you know uh, because even even when we were young if you had uh, girls who were interested in playing. Of course, you wanted them at your table. Uh, you know, if for nothing else, as you could flirt with them. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I did the, the reverse. I invited my girlfriend to play. And there that weren't any women, so I, tr- I brought them in. The, the, well, this one is, was the the only one was uh, happy to play. <laughs> yes. The others, okay, so they played. Because I wanted to role much. play anyway, so. But uh, there aren't many women. Well, in Portugal, there are, there aren't many people playing anyway. No matter the, the I, gender. I know but... a lot of women that are. I know a kind of. Because I'm I'm a girl, so I know a woman. I know actually a lot of women that that role play. 
I I know more of them now. Uh, there were just a few growing up, but we had them. Uh, you know, and it, it is nice, uh, you know, because I'll say, you know, generally, you know, the, the female gamers smell better than the guys. So, you, know? so you yeah. get a bunch of you get a bunch of, you know, like unwashed, you know, like 12, 20 year olds and 18 year olds sitting around a table. You this know? was one of the reasons why I didn't play uh, online. I only played online for a long time because I knew there were people playing, but they were on stores and stuff. And I was like, I don't have to deal with those weird guys. <laughs> Because I was a teenager myself, and I was like, no, I don't want to get too close to those weird guys. That was the yeah. Back then, that was the gatekeeping. They smelled. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they, I mean, that's... they wanted the girls to play, but well, they smelled bad. Okay. That's... Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the funny thing about it. it it's like, uh, we didn't, we never gate kept the hobby. It's just that people back then. You know, we had the satanic panic mm -hmm. and we had we had all these other elements working against us, uh, you know, because, you know, the people who play D&D &D were usually like, you know, a little bit introverted, kind of shy, nerdy, and, and they read books and things. And I remember and so, the time, sorry, when people's uh, geeks were not cool, right? So yeah. geeks being mm -hmm. cool is a very recent thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the, the early 90s, uh, if you wanted to be cool, you couldn't play role playing games. Or read books or wear glasses or all those stuff. You oh, that make... was all the way back to the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, but I, I didn't play uh, role-playing games in the 80s, I think. Just in 89, that was when the, the red box was translated into Portuguese. That's when I got into role-playing games. But, uh, well, I started playing, but there wasn't many people playing. And the, the, it was a... Uh, it was something that if you wanted to play, you you couldn't be a popular guy, so that's that that's the, the kind of thing. If you want to be popular, you can play this thing, or video games. It's basically the same. Yeah, and uh, honestly, I I will give a lot of credit to Vin Diesel because uh, you know Vin <laughs> Diesel at one point he came out and he said he said I used to play role playing games back when I was a kid. Then he used to talk about his experiences, and then he did his one little you know reality show type thing where he ran a session on all this. And that kind of kicked the door open for, you know, the idea that, hey, you could be cool and you could still play role playing games. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the, you know, the other side of that coin was a lot of um, people who normally wouldn't role play, you know, because they were, you know, uh, how do I put this without sounding horrible? But, um, <laughs> Vin you Diesel's know, friends. <laughs> well, not not so much Vin Diesel's friend, but you know, like just you know, people who Assholes. would never have anything to do with it. Hmm? Yeah. Assholes. Yeah. <laughs> they um, you know, they they, they saw they this as a lifestyle vampire. brand. They could play vampire because the vampire game uh, players, the World of Darkness players, were always a bit. Uh, how can I say? They always felt like they were cooler, right? They were the gods. <laughs> yeah, that that is true. Uh, when I I played vampire, and yeah, the most of the vampire players and stuff thought that D and D was kind of yeah because you know it's like oh it's the kids' game. This is the real game because it's more edgy. But um, yeah, you know you had you had people who were looking at you know at D and D as a lifestyle brand, so they. They started picking up fifth edition and 
you know, thinking, ooh, now that I have D&D, I'm cool, too, like Vin Diesel <laughs> or Matt Mercer. So That's kind of strange. Really. It is. <laughs> but but these, are, these are kind of the folks who took over the hobby. Yeah, right now, they, yeah, it's, it's theirs. Uh-huh. Well, it did, it did uh, change a lot over the last years. I'm not sure how many years. Five years, maybe? Uh, I don't know how long 5th edition has been out. It seems like it's been too long now. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with some of the more recent changes to the game. Uh, Strixhaven, anybody? Yes, yes, yes. 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 I'm going to ask what you think about that. Especially the coffee shop adventure. <laughs> Well, you know, I personally, when I get out of work, you know, my eight hour day of working, that's very stressful and harsh. Um, I love to go sit at a table with other people and pretend that I am a janitor for three hours because <laughs> that is my lifetime is in, you know, aspiration there. That's one of the weirdest things here. People want to play themselves in the games. And they pick the fantasy games for that, which is the strangest of, of all, because well, if you're playing a fantasy game, you don't want to play yourself. Yeah, so. I can. they can play whatever they want, but we just, I can't resist to make fun of them. Well, I, I think a lot of that is also part of their culture, because, um, I mean, let's face it, I, I, I hate to sound um, generational, when I say this, but a lot of your millennials and Gen Z, they did not grow up reading the same science fiction and fantasy books that we did. Uh, you know, because we we didn't have cellular phones and stuff like that, and you know, movies really weren't all that great compared to the the fantasy world you could live in if you read like a book by um, Margaret Wace or uh, or uh, you know Robert E. Howard. I'm actually millennial, so I was born in '82, but I don't Ooh. identify with the millennial. No, I don't. I, oh. I have that problem. I don't identify. But I would say it is an excuse in Portugal for a lot of time. No, uh, it's millennial. It's the millennial transition. Yes. We only had two channels, two TV channels, to give you an example. So a lot of the culture was still limited until the '90s. There was a lot of things that were still limited. But you, you still had a good, uh, strong culture for reading, though, right? Exactly, exactly. I read a lot, and I didn't I didn't have choice in the, in TV, so I just saw a lot of old TV shows because that's what, what what was playing. Afterwards, in the 90s, we had uh, more uh, other two channels, and then eventually people had cable, and they started having more choice and probably too much choice, and I think that is a problem. They have too much uh, things going on, right? There's too much influences, there's too much choice, and uh, they don't keep their focus. Yeah, but in the US, they have choice already in the 80s. Yes, I know, I know. Indeed, it's different. A reality, it's, it's a bit, uh, it was slower. The difference here, it's slower. I don't well, identify with a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I think that that is one of the reasons why Things like Strixhaven could become popular uh, because, you know, these kids without a lot of life experiences and things like that, you know, th their only life experience may be going to the coffee shop every day or working in a coffee shop or working a menial job. So, you know, the 
the staff writers over at uh, Wizards of the Coast nowadays, um, they're not hired because they're industry veterans and professionals. They are suffering the same kind of corporate problems that every industry is suffering. And that is the longer you keep an employee, the more you have to pay them. So they get rid of, you know, longtime employees, people like uh, Casimir Urbanski, uh, you know, guys like that who, you know, were basically building the industry. And instead they hire these new people who don't have a lot of life experiences, haven't read a lot of fantasy and, you know, uh, and possibly even are just checking off, you know, particular check boxes. Okay. Are they, are they people of color? Are they transgender? Are they, you know, bisexual or what is, what is the deal? They're not hiring them because they're really good experienced GMs who run really amazing games and have great, you know, fantasy backgrounds. They're just hiring these people straight out of college because they're cheap and their artwork even can attest to that. If you have seen the difference in the artwork between fifth edition and all the previous editions, uh, it has become more and more corporatized and less storytelling in the artwork. It's, it's not even very interesting. Uh, compared to the old black and white illustrations from you know the 70s and 80s. Yes, I remember particularly uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, which had a that one was beautiful. Larry, mm -hmm. Elmo, Larry, Larry, what? El Elmore. Elmore. El Elmore. Uh, his uh, his art was uh, great. This one, uh, well, right now it's all. Blah. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's corporatized. Their main, is, uh, their main reference seems to be Harry Potter for the millennials. I would it say, really does. Yeah. They, they just know fantasy is Harry Potter and they don't know anything else. And that is strange. I read all the Harry Potter books, I'm going to say, as the millennial here. <laughs> I didn't saw the movies. I saw some of them, but then I, I realized I was at the movie watching like the third uh, film. And I was like, I already read the books and the books are, are better than the, the film. What the hell am I doing here? <laughs> I'm not going to watch any, any more of them, but they're not my major reference. My major reference will probably be uh, Star Wars, my major childhood reference in Indiana and, Jones. And you've seen what's happened to those. Yes, mm -hmm. I, did, I stopped liked, liking them when I saw Phantom Menace. And maybe we can change the, the, yeah. <laughs> the subject to Star Wars now. Yeah, it's a, it's a good time for that. I, I was a Star Wars fan when I saw the, the first films, of, of course. Uh, I saw them when I was a child, uh, the first one and the second. Um, but, uh, well, then came the, the new the new trilogy, which was the first one, not, well, not the first one, but it was, chrono chronologically, it was older, right? Phantom mm -hmm. Menace and all that. And when I saw the first movie, I was uh, struggling to, to be a fan still. But then I right. saw the second, and I was still struggling. But then I lost the struggle at the first, at the third film. I, I gave up. After that, I, well, I didn't even uh, all these uh, new things, which uh, include TV TV shows and all that. I never saw any, because I I gave up a long time ago. But I I gotta say, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I I remember watching the prequel trilogy as it came out and being less and less enthused with it and yeah I, I was turned off of star wars after seeing it 
and for the longest time, I didn't think you could get any worse than that. And then Disney proved <laughs> me wrong by coming out with another trilogy that was even even more inferior in every way. I never got to see that one. You're not missing anything. Just, yeah, I'm just, not. And just pretend the first Star Wars started in 77 and yeah. ended with Return of the Jedi, and you're, you're yeah. fine. I even yeah. like the Ewoks movie because I was a child when I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just cute. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't all great. I, I saw the Star Wars Christmas special when I was a kid, so. I don't think I've, I'm not yeah, sure I if I saw, saw that one. <laughs> well, the, the Ewoks movie, I saw it, but probably a couple of times, a long time ago. I don't even remember it anymore. I know they had the Ewoks, <laughs> but I, I can't remember anything else. Okay, so, but you saw the, 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 the new things. What is, uh, for you, what's the, the worst about it? Wow. Everything. What is the worst about it? Okay. Um, Twitter apparently has a massive influence on Wizards of the Coast, uh, as well as whoever it is who is working there right now. Um Apparently, those people who scream the loudest on Twitter are who they want to cater to now rather than a more generalized population. Um, they have gone back and, you know, D&D uh, &D 5.5 is coming out pretty soon. And it's already started, I should say. If you, if you have any of the downloaded books and things, uh, they've already started changing all the books. Uh, but... You know, the races are becoming more and more homogenized to the point where, you know, I think what Tasha's Cauldron just came out and said, you know what, we don't care where you put the stats, put the stats anywhere you want. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter what race you play. Just put the stats anywhere you want. You only get like a plus two and a plus two and that's it. And then it doesn't matter where you put them. So to me, it's kind of like, well, why play? Why play another race at all? Because you're basically just a human wearing another skin suit that looks like a kobold or a half orc or whatever. Because little ears. Yeah. Or horns or something like that. Or yeah, a you're, unicorn. You're, yeah, you're, you're basically you're just cosplaying as another race. You're not really playing that other race because it doesn't have any um, challenges built into the race to overcome or strengths built into the race to overcome. Now they're all just, you know, gray globs that are pretty much identical. Um, that's one of my problems. Another one is in order to make a lot of the lore less problematic and less hurtful, they are removing big sections of lore from the game. Uh, the drow have been retconned into only a minor city on the planet. Then not all the drow are evil, you know, spider worshiping uh, people who turn, you know, human uh, humans and other races into living furniture and all this other stuff that like they used to be. Um, you know, beholders are not necessarily, you know, evil and all this other stuff and mind flares. I don't get that. This is a race that doesn't exist normally in any kind of natural form but they do exist by eating people's brains or by Im implanting them with their children so that it it forcibly transforms that person into another mind flayer basically kind of like a um almost like a like a rape almost or a non-consensual uh you know and i'm Parasite like for sure 
a parasite for sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and somehow they're not considered to be evil. And I'm like, you have to be kidding me. <laughs> a race that actually reproduces. And then people are like, but they can choose not to. I'm like, yeah, they can choose not to. They have a genius level intelligence and yet they still choose to be evil. <laughs> they choose to enslave other races to their will and stuff. So yeah, you tell me. Look like they want to play the bad guys, right? But not, they're not bad. They're all nice. Yeah, they just want to hug you with their tentacles. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really yeah. strange. I don't know very well what's going on on D&D, but I remember that there was a, a controversy on Conan from Modifius that the words exotic and mysterious were censored because mm -hmm. they were problematic. Yes. And yeah. Of other things, but uh, well, the the yes. words being exotic being and mysterious, especially mysterious. I don't see what can be problematic or racist about mysterious. I don't. I don't understand either. Um, you know, uh, whether you guys are aware of it or not, I live in Texas. I literally live one hour away from Robert E. Howard's home, his literal home. I've been to his house several times. I've visited his museum. I visited his grave over in Brownwood. Uh, I had a long talk with Andre at Midnight's Edge over it. Um, I'm a Howard fan. I'm a Conan fan from way back. And at the time that those books were written, there were still kind of unexplored places on the map where mystery could live. And Howard just took those mysterious places and he brought that mystery out to people, you know, if if you haven't been outside of your own country and actually met anybody who is Asian or Hispanic or anything else, because maybe you live in lived in part of the country where it was mostly all white people, you know, that would be exotic and mysterious to you. That would be different because that's really all that means, uh, you know. I am not a Robert E. Howard longtime fan. I only read it a couple of years ago. Um, namely Conan, but I was uh, looking for all the problematic stuff. I found nothing. It's just I'm reading. Well, his, yeah, I'm reading his horror uh, tales, like uh, anthology, and uh, there's something there that can be considered problematic. Yeah, not, well, not but not, not, not in Conan. I don't think in Conan. Yeah, either. but in the but because there some of them are uh, times, so they talk about other races. Some of them are spent in Africa in the colonial period. So yes, they do talk about the black people. They are slaves at the time, but it's a product of an era. You mm, can't exactly. judge them by that. Yeah, the, right. The same with Lovecraft. Oh yeah, same with Lovecraft. Um, and, you know, that that's the thing. For some reason, the tendency these days is to judge everybody by your own uh, yardstick. And it's, you know, and that has contributed to other problems, too. Like, everybody praised Wizards of the Coast for re-releasing all of the old um, books and things on in digital format, right? You know, like, now you can actually pick up uh, the original Tomb of Horrors with the original artwork or Hidden Shrine of Tamoa Chan and everything else, just like they were back when we bought them uh, as original modules. The only problem is, is now they have this big, huge disclaimer on all of it saying, these were problematic, they're, they're problematic now, and they're just problem or products of their times, et cetera, et cetera. And the damage it's doing is the fact that 
some of the guys who wrote and illustrated this stuff are still alive and they're still trying to get work. And now they're being, they're having to contend with this label that, you know, I mean, okay. If you were trying to go in for a job interview and you told them, I was like, Hey, yeah, I've got some, I've got some writing experience. I wrote, uh, you know, the hidden shrine of Temawachan. And the first thing, you know, an employer does is look it up and says, Oh, it says here that that content was problematic and uh, a product of an inferior of a inferior time and was and was bad then and it's bad now. And you wrote that. Yeah. What are you gonna say? Yeah, it's a it's a label. Mm -hmm. A very bad label. Yeah. It, it probably it's false, right? I'm not sure, but uh, I I can't remember that. But uh, it seems well. It, it wasn't all that all that long ago, so it probably wasn't that problematic. Not really. Uh, I mean, you know, back in the seventies and eighties, when that stuff was being written, we were kind of a little bit more liberated in, yeah. in some aspects than we are now. Yes. Yeah. Um. And I myself, as well as uh, you know, my usual YouTube co-host uh, Grim, James Desborough have had cancel culture uh, come straight after us for products that we worked on. Uh, I worked in the game, well, I still work in the game industry, but uh, I wrote and illustrated products, uh, you know, as far back as like the 90s uh, to present day. And uh, I put out a few things that made pretty much cancel culture come after us with both barrels. Uh, over stuff that we put out. And uh, Grimm has, you know, he's had death threats. Uh, people sent him razor blades and things uh, to kill himself and and all these other things. I mean, and these people haven't stopped after 10, 11 years. They're still trying to get rid of him, erase him, make him a non-person, and keep yeah. him from working. That is really sick because it, I do appreciate the way he talks openly about his problems and about his suicide attempts, but yeah, then people sending him razor blades, yeah, go kill yourself. That's really sick and disturbing. It is. And it, it says a lot about sick. them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. They're supposed to be the tolerant people. Yes. Not, not really. They are Not very, really. very intolerant. I remember when there was the, this J.K. Rowling controversy that she received. In, there was a lot of uh, rape threats from transgender people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're supposed not, not to do that, right? You don't tell someone that you're going to rape them. But it's OK if, it's, if you're a transgender and it's J.K. Rowling. And she said that uh, women masturbate. Yeah, I don't. I, I think it's funny because it's like, uh, you know, these people will, it, once they find a target, they do their best to dehumanize them so that any you can do whatever you want to hurt them. And the sad thing is we know of at least one other era. Well, we know a lot of eras where this same uh, tactic has happened over and over and over. I mean, you know, the, the Japanese did not consider the Chinese to be humans, uh, you know, way back during the the uh, invasion of Manchuria. So it was okay for Japanese soldiers to do whatever they wanted to the civilian populace. And I don't want to go into that, but it was it was disgusting. Um, 
you know, uh, the Germans back in the 1940s uh, tried to portray, you know, the Jewish people as not humans or less than humans or inferior in order to, you know, allow their own soldiers not to feel bad about hurting these non-people and all this sort of thing. And the same sort of uh, propaganda is being utilized against us, the older players or the people that they don't like or the people they want to cancel. The people that dare to say no to the, how can we say it? Right speech. Yes, now I'm trying to use that uh, George Orwell term. Yes. Because this is very, it feels very Orwellian. It does. It's it's like a non-personing. I remember some years ago, there was t-shirts, make world fiction again. And they were talking about uh, Trump and all that, and suddenly they disappeared. I think someone realized that Wokes were actually the big brother. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, it's kind of sad because Wokes used to be a good thing. Well, I don't remember that because uh, when I first heard about the word, they were they were already uh, canceling people. Mm-hmm. So okay, so they were progressive. <laughs> That's that's how they label themselves now as progressive. But if this is progress, I I don't think I like it. Yeah, right now it's not really progress. It's regressive. Yes. And all that uh, it happens online right now. So they they pile up on people who are supposedly mm -hmm. fascist or whatever. Nazis. And Nazis, and uh, they can do anything. They can say anything. They can accuse them of anything, and there's no problem at all. It's not bullying. See, it's not, uh, yeah. See, these people don't don't have any really uh, any real understanding of what fascism or anything else is. Mm -hmm. um, one of my friends, Bruno from uh, Bruno's Reviews, uh, you know, he's uh, half Spanish. His father actually survived the Franco regime, where actual fascists took over Spain. And I myself, I'm you know, soy cubano, so my father is a Cuban. He lived in Cuba during the time of the uh, takeover by Fidel Castro. My family lost everything, and he had to escape to America to start all over again with nothing. So, you know, these kids these days, they don't know what repression, uh, fascism, or or even what it means to lose everything, what it means. They have no concept of these things. Yeah, we yeah. also had a 40 years fascist regime here in Portugal. It was called Portuguese fascism. Okay, it wasn't as bad as Franco's, but still it was not a democracy. So mm -hmm. it really annoys me when they call me fascist and say, yeah, I do have, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. The word is, the word is being uh, very wrongly used and uh, abused. It's even worse when it's the Nazis. Like the Nazis yeah. are, if they're the ones that are still alive, are very old uh, men. <laughs> Around if 80 or 90, exactly. The ones that are still alive are very old. Yeah, right now that's probably 100 and something. And fascist yeah. is the same thing. But uh, yeah, it, the word is being extremely abused, and it, and it probably will have some problems later because if you're labeling people who are just centrists on or simply not even that leftists like uh, Grimm, mm -hmm. 
the guy is a is a leftist, so and he's been accused of uh, everything, basically. Exactly. He's he's very he's more left than I am, and I'm I consider myself to be fairly left, but uh, you know, I live in Texas, so I still like my guns. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's British, and it's different uh, from a from Texas. Yeah. But, but yeah, he's, he's accused of well, he's accused of a, a lot of things, and basically because he he has a mind of his own, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and, and you know that's that's the the other part of the trend I notice is that these people they have a tendency to turn on their own if somebody is not towing the line to a sufficient degree. You know, it's like oh well. Why are you still associating with this person? You shouldn't be because of this. Okay, well then you're obviously you've joined the enemy. <laughs> so yeah, that's know. what surprised me. Why didn't why doesn't some of the people that are associated with them they realize that they can turn on them at any minute? Mm -hmm. It has happened a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm always remembering the story of Adam Kobo and his uh, cancelling. Yeah. <laughs> he was popular as a uh, woke poster boy and then suddenly it was eaten disappeared yeah will wheaton uh also was uh championed for a long time and then suddenly he wasn't you know he was in defense of the wrong person and they were going after him it was cancelled um, I, I wasn't aware of that mm -hmm, he was uh yeah. they for a short time I think he's back in their good graces, but I'm not sure how much. Asking for forgiveness. Yeah. Usually that doesn't work. Asking for forgiveness. Usually. Yeah. Because it's it's you. Yeah, you either can't be forgiven, or you're not asking enough, or you can't do <laughs> enough to be forgiven. In Koble's case, I noticed that he's kind of done his best to disappear off the map. Yeah. Yes. Basically. I'm not, I, I think he tried to do something, but it was uh, it wasn't signing it or something like that. But, uh, well, it was really cancelled, I think. Mm -hmm. That's the other part of it too is um, people who who were cancelled or are in the process of being cancelled and all that. When they do try to do good deeds, uh, these same people are more concentrated on the cancelling than they are on. You know what what possible good could come from it um for example like if grim were to write a book and the sales were to be donated to you know a, a charity a strong charity these people would come out of the woodwork to get that taken down despite the fact that whatever money that he raised would be good and do some good for people it's more important that he be canceled and non-personed and than for him to do any any they possible good or redeem himself. Yeah, because they, they don't want him to be good. They want to give him the chance. Exactly. Well, there are activists, but uh, just for the canceling, not for the the good things. They yeah. want to bury people, not really do good, do something good. So you were talking about the uh, the influence, the what people say right on Twitter, and. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think? There there are many people on Twitter. Uh, does it make sense, or it's just uh, exaggerating a lot uh, the importance of that? Uh, 
let's be honest. Um, until I got onto Twitter, I had never heard anybody in almost 40 years of gaming ever, ever refer to a black person as an orc <laughs> or an orc as a black person. Yes. That is that is asinine to a degree that blows my mind. I cannot believe that ever, ever became a thing. Uh, and I've told people on more than one occasion, I said, look, I've never heard of that. My friends have never heard of that. They've never said that. We've never made that association whatsoever. And the fact that you are saying it says more about you and what your opinions are and how you think. That is more of a projection on your part than it is on anything that we have thought, because that was never a factor in our games. Um, and, you know, that's that's a thing. You know, Twitter is kind of a cesspool. Um, there are a lot of ideas that have popped up on Twitter that I had never heard of before. I never heard of safety tools yeah. until this year, uh, or I should say 2020. Yeah, 2020. I'd never heard of safety tools until then. Um, Now I'm hearing about them and I'm just kind of like, we didn't, we've never used these before. What, what possible use could we have for them now? You know, it just sounds to me like it's a way to uh, impair gaming, not increase it. I mean, like, I mean, I understand if you're a player and you have some real issues. uh, I, for example, we had a player in our shadow run game who he was a, uh, a military policeman and he was guarding a camp full of uh, prisoners and a bomb accidentally came down in that camp and it killed a whole bunch of the prisoners. Well, he got to see all these guys in yellow jumpsuits and stuff who were just, you know, uh, dead all over the place. And it uh, it gave him post-traumatic stress disorder uh, that is triggered by the color yellow. Uh, you know, and he warned us about that ahead of time during the game. And I'm like, OK. So nobody wore anything yellow or or brought up that image. And, you know, we played the game just fine. Wasn't a big deal. You know, you you learn if you talk to your players and, you know, make friends with them and stuff, you learn what they don't like. You you learn, you know, how to individualize them as human beings and not just all their phobias and their mental problems and physical disorders and everything else. And if the players you know? don't react well to one thing, you don't want to put it in the game anyway. You want them to, to react positively and to engage. Yeah. It doesn't have to be something traumatic like that case, but you know if the if the players don't like a certain type of thing, uh, something, you're not going to put it in the game. Yeah, exactly. Because you, you're not there to torture your players. You're just you're there to have a good time. Um, be that whatever it is. I mean, but now to this point, it, it, it's getting ridiculous to the point now where, you know, the players are saying things like, well, DMs shouldn't be allowed to kill player characters. <laughs> Which yes, that's that's a, a really weird thing. Mm-hmm. In and some I usually, games, I usually don't kill characters. Yeah, but in some a, games, that's all the point. In yeah. some games, you're supposed to to die. Yeah, I mean, if if that's the kind of game you're playing, that's fine. Uh, but yeah, nowadays they're they're saying like, yeah, you have to have permission to kill the characters from the player and all this. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense because 
okay, if, if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, you live in a world where there is so much magic that can heal you, bring you back from the dead, etc., that this should not be a factor for you, even if you do die, because there's always a method to bring you back. Yes. The character um, doesn't have to be really dead. No, the character doesn't have to be really dead unless Which the player right? wants to stop playing them. Of course. Uh, and I, you know, I, I hate to throw the cultural finger at it, but I think some of it must come from the anime. Uh, although I don't, I don't know for sure, but I'm thinking, okay, anime being as popular as it is, you don't usually see heroes getting killed in anime. Yeah, they are immortal. They're Basically. Ex- and it doesn't matter how bad they get beat up. Yeah, that that, yeah, that makes sense. It's a generational thing. Also, people mm-hmm. grew up grew up with that, and they they are used to it. The heroes don't die, so yeah. they can't die in games. Yeah, but it's a game anyway. Yeah, and, it's uh, a game. You die in the computer game. Yeah, in the video games, they die. Okay, they can. Get the save, they can. But... Uh, yeah, they can uh, run the save and uh, they go back, well, but it's still they die. Well, that's kind of funny because that's the other joke that's going on nowadays is uh, <laughs> people are saying, well, okay, if if you get a, a total party kill in a dungeon, then the GM needs to just reset the whole dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, so just reset the whole just dungeon. just play it again? Yeah, basically. You just, <laughs> you just play it again. Place. Yeah, and okay. everybody survives. Over and over, if, if needed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a bit boring. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I don't like when my character is, is near that. It depends. If I'm playing a uh, one shot, I don't care. I care when it, it just happens with Miguel, and I, I complain, and I kind of I complain too much. If it's the beginning and I see my character is almost dying, yes, then I will complain. <laughs> but in the end, it's okay if my character dies. If it's a campaign, it's different because, yeah, I understand you are invested. You don't want your character to die. Yeah, and and I get it that, you know, people do get invested in their characters, and I think that's great because that's what you're supposed to do. You know, it, what kind of, you you know, either your GM is doing a poor job or you're doing a poor job as a player if you're not getting invested in your character, if you're not worried about what's going to happen to them, um, you know. And I'm coming from an old basic and first edition AD&D background. Um, you know, when I was really young, I was kind of a killer DM because I, I had more fun seeing how I could, you know, get get the characters killed uh, than actually seeing them succeed. But then as I, I grew up a little bit more uh, and had a char- had a player actually successfully navigate the entire adventure all the way to the end. And seeing how happy they were about it, I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is way cooler than just killing them off. So, you know, I, I've the... I've killed characters off before, it, you know, but I these days I don't do it just because I can. You know, there's a lot of um, mechanics that lead up to character death. Uh, one of those is hit points. But the the biggest one should be your player character's common sense. You know, hey, look, it's five bugbears. You're a level one. You're all by yourself. The chances are pretty good you're going to die if you fight all five of these guys at once. 
Yeah, I almost died on, on Cyberpunk. We didn't play that much because we just had finished a campaign of, uh, actually not a campaign, a lot of uh, Mutant Chronicles with the, the 2D20 system. And uh -huh. on that system, you almost are mortal. So I was playing Cyberpunk 2020 as if it was Mutant Chronicles. Ooh, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're playing Cyberpunk 2020. Now, yes, now the new exactly. Cyberpunk, yeah, no, Cyberpunk no, it was, Red. It was the old one. And I we haven't played that one. one. We were planning, but uh, we never, we didn't have the time, so we skipped. Uh, Grim has not had good things to say about Cyberpunk Red, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he said he said they've gone to a hit point system, and you get too many hit points. Yeah, we talked about it uh, some days ago, in the. We were interviewing him and he was talking about Cyberpunk Red and uh, <laughs> he didn't really like it. Yeah, when I saw the, the how did they call that? Uh, not the quick start, something like that. The the box set for the mm -hmm. the preview, preview of the game and I really didn't like it. The art was kind of meh and the, the layout was very old fashioned, but in a bad way, I think. It's not yeah, maybe so. It was a bit. I, uh, I thought it was funny because uh, you know I have the the world of Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven art book that's made for the video game, and you know the artwork in that looks kind of a lot better than it does in Cyberpunk Red. Just kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't uh, I didn't actually see that that book, but uh, yeah, probably I have the world of the Witcher. And it's basically the same thing. I but think. the mm. game was based, yeah. But the Witcher role playing will, took a lot of art from the the art book in the computer game. It actually also took a lot a bit of the system, which I didn't like. Well, probably mm. because uh, the, the red it's not supposed to be twenty seventy seven, so they probably couldn't use that art for some reason. I'm yeah. not sure. Well, I mean, okay, but even like the tone of. Uh, Cyberpunk 2077 is more adult than Cyberpunk Red. Mm -hmm. You know, Cyberpunk 2020 had adult themes and yeah. it didn't quite go into adult artwork, but it definitely had more edge. Mm -hmm. um, Cyberpunk Red seems a little bit more safe. Yeah, the usual thing. So, did you play the, the video games? I suppose so. Right? Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I started, but I, well, for some reason when I'm uh, role playing, I usually can't get uh, into computer role playing the same way. And uh, well, I played a bit, but then I gave up. So I I didn't start the really interesting part of the game. Yeah, it's, it's kind of sad. I actually went back to go play Baldur's Gate 3 not too long ago and then realized, oh, all my old saves were dead, so I couldn't pick up where <laughs> I continued. And then, you know, uh, I wasn't having as much fun with it. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to wait until they're finally finished patching this thing before I play it. So, yeah, restarting is always uh, annoying. I it is. I don't really like that, yeah. uh, especially when there are when there are supposedly there were safe saves uh, safe saved before, and if they are lost, it's a bit annoying to restart all over. Especially if you had had a really annoying encounter that you didn't want to have to go and do again. I never played Baldur's Gate. That's the what the the remake of an old game, or um, it's a new game. Not well. Okay, no, Baldur's your, Gate or the original one. 
the the original Baldur's Gate. Yeah, well, Baldur's Gate three is you know it's the latest one. Oh, okay. I thought that but there was a uh, remake of something. What wasn't there? Uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate two got like enhanced editions yeah, that that's were. It. That's it. Yeah. And the uh, Planescape Torment also, I think. That I was... didn't know if Planescape got it yet, but uh, the sure. one I wish. The one I wish they would go back and fix is uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. Oh, that, yeah. is, <laughs> that was yeah. a genius game. That is a really good one. Although the graphics are awful, and not just the graphics, it's full of bugs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they've those, those fixed patches, a bunch of it. Yeah, they, I, when I played it, it was almost fixed. Although there was a bug because I was stuck somewhere. Uh, I, I, I actually had to restart that one and I thought I was stuck and I thought it was a bug but then I got stuck again when I restarted and I understood it was something it was an, a place at, uh, when we are at a time when we are in the, the sewer and we have to swim oh, and that's I, so long. the graphics were so bad that <laughs> I didn't understand what I had to do and I thought <laughs> I, was, I was stuck. So the second time it happened and I got stuck again, of course, I went to look for uh, a playthrough and then I realized, okay, I'm not stuck. I just need to, to swim this way. <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. cheated. It's annoying. When I got stuck, I cheated and, uh, and, and it was uh, solved. There and was, you uh, clipped through it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> it was oh. quicker. Oh, and and speaking of vampire, um, yeah, have you have you not seen this vampire fifth edition? Oh yeah. Yes, I was supposed <laughs> Unfortunately. to. I was supposed to game master it. I I did get to game master the the quick start the session the one shot in the book, but then uh -huh. when I read it, I was like, eh, this is a bit weird. Mm hmm. I don't I don't particularly like to it the, to the real to the the, the previous life. The yes. connection of the vampires to the previous life it's in it's enhanced strong. and uh, well not not just that but uh, it's one of the things that annoyed me there are the this uh, soul stone or heart stone or whatever that is something that uh, a person that uh, you had connections with in your life or someone that is a descendant of someone that you had connections and this person is really important to you and you need to keep in touch with it with her or with with him to have your humanity that's like no. This doesn't yeah, make sense. That doesn't make any sense. Just be a just be a good person. Exactly. <laughs> and they have or be a monster if you want to. And they also have one of appendix when they say if you are a Nazi or a don't play this game. And mm -hmm. I, I'm not a Nazi, but if they want to say it, I think they should say it up uh, up front and not in the middle of the game. Imagine that I was a Nazi and I played <laughs> for the game. And they're telling me I can't play it. No, it's those uh, manifestos are always annoying. It is, um, and there are certain mechanics in the game that I yes. I both like and I and I don't like. Um, I thought the hunger mechanic was pretty cool, but the more I started thinking about it, the more I started thinking it actually shuts down action. It doesn't encourage it because, you know, who wants to take a chance on making any kind of a skill check? If you know that you could throw a hunger dice and, and just mess everything up. And then you get the game gets about you the hunger and not whatever you want to play. So that's the main focus. Mm -hmm. So it can get in the way. Uh huh. It can be interesting, uh, but at the same time, it can get in the way. Yeah, exactly. 
at least with the old blood point or blood pool system, you know, you could play with a little bit more tactical, uh, you know, nature and yeah, and the humanity system was more uh, organic. You know, like if if you did bad things, you got penalized for it. So I can't really compare because I was a game master for a well, storyteller for uh, Vampire Second Edition, but not this one. I just browsed through it. She was going to be the game master, not me. But uh, I didn't. Uh, well, but it was obvious that it wasn't the it same thing. It was strange. When I read it, I just felt this. This feels off. Well. And I mean, and that's the other thing, too. It's like, OK, the original vampire, you know, first edition, second edition. Uh, part of the selling point for that back in the 90s, because it came out when I was in high school, was the fact that it was edgy, mm -hmm. that it was dark, that it was, you know, you were playing a monster. And, you know, there was an aesthetic to the whole thing that was very, you know, anti-establishment uh, and that sort of thing. So it felt cool to play that. Yeah. And of course, the books that kept coming out got more and more and more uh, edgy and over the top, maybe mm -hmm. sick in some ways. I mean, to the point where White Wolf actually had a separate label called Black Dog Publishing. Yeah. Those were the best. But, well, <laughs> yeah, I those like, were the best. I like horror. So <laughs> those yeah. Were the best. But but that's the thing is as you know they they built their reputation on all this edginess horror and and etc and style and substance and all this and then you get to fifth edition and the one of the first things they do is they get rid of Mark Reinhagen who actually made the game mm -hmm. the original guy who made the game and they throw him out because this stuff is too edgy yeah a and I'm like this makes no sense. And I, I know Mike Ra or Mark Reinhagen. He's a nice guy. He's a friend. Uh, you know, so this is this is just stupid. That right there, that told me I don't want to play this. Another thing was the the descriptions of some of the clans were a bit uh, uh, wishy washy. On the new one? Yes, on the new one. Yes. Yeah, the old ones you definitely knew who was who, just by appearance. Uh, you know, because a Nosferatu definitely. It looks like a fashion magazine. There's a there's a, that problem also. I don't like that uh, too clean and uh, colorful and uh, production. Corporate. Yeah. And then there's uh, too much pages devoted to how not to scare the players and not to offend the players and uh, safety tools and all that. There were a lot of appendices on there. Yeah. I think that and has something to do with that problem they had. They had to remake the books and something because there was something offensive in the first edition or first there version. There was a, a fiction, right? About yes. Serbian camps. Mm, not, mm -hmm. no, not Serbia. Um, Kosovo, Chechenia. something like that. Chechnya. That's it. That's it. Chechnya, Chechnya. Yeah. Chechnya, yeah. Something yeah. about it in the it wasn't the core book, but they uh, remade the both of the books, I think. And, and see, this is the thing. Uh, Wizards of the Coast is a big company because they're part of Hasbro. I think part of what they do is they look at the other game companies and what they're doing and try to, you know, either steal good ideas or take the lessons other game companies have had to learn the hard way to heart. Which is why we got, you know, the new Van Richten's guide that says 
this is a horror game, but but don't scare your players. Don't do anything that might scare them. Um, plus, I you know a lot of the changes to the Dark Lords was like, why? Uh, I own every single copy of Ravenloft that has come out since the original module, the sequel, which is very hard to find. Uh, all of the Ravenloft box set published stuff. I have all of that. Uh, I even have the 3.0 and 3.5 versions that came out. And then uh, even a 3.5 uh, version of, you know, the, the $70 Strahd's uh, Castle book. And and then I get to 5th edition and I'm just like, oh, okay. Um, so we're not allowed to actually use horror in the horror game. How do we do this? Yeah. I, mean, I, I can't figure it out. <laughs> Don't make your, your players feel uneasy or uncomfortable or anything else. I'm like, uh, okay, well then, then what are we doing? Well, how can you call this horror? That's what uh, really annoyed me a couple of years ago when they started talking about uh, uh, safety tools everywhere. The, mm -hmm. the commercial games were all being, well, you couldn't buy a commercial game, a horror commercial game that was truly horror because if you want to publish one you have to say okay no it's it's horror but well not really uh, before that well, I, I wasn't really into independent games but right, right now there's no way uh, of buying a commercial game that's truly edgy no way uh-uh um and the thing is you know people are posting up uh pictures of safety tools and stuff like that that you know with checklists and stuff of all the different things that players could have problems with and they're supposed to submit to their gm before you know before the game actually starts for i guess their session yes. zero and there are things um, that are ridiculous like dust spider yeah. webs wind yeah. wind yeah <laughs> um and my thought is after seeing that giant checklist i'm like no wonder Strixhaven is a is a popular or is a setting now because it absolutely doesn't offend anybody because it has nothing in any of those boxes that would be ticked. And you don't want to play a dungeon if you're afraid of co-webs and dust and spiders. Yeah. You, and you're not spaces. Go, exactly, in closed places. You don't want to go into a dungeon. So why are you playing Dungeons and Dragons? Yeah, and we're not even going to get into the whole combat wheelchairs and oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and mental problems and stuff yeah. like that. Or, yeah, it's or, just or playing dis disabled characters. Why? Yeah. Why do we want to play a disabled character in a fantasy world? Even if Makes you are no disabled. Sense. Especially if you are disabled. Why? Yes. Why does anybody want to play themselves? I don't want to play myself anywhere. Mm -mm. I play yeah, myself my... every day. Why? Why play myself in a game? Makes no exactly. sense. Exactly. Yeah, my my friend had his leg amputated uh, because he basically got gangrene in it, um, and he plays with us. And uh, I guarantee you, he does not want to play a character that only has one leg. <laughs> makes no sense. He only has to live with that. Why? Yeah. And if you don't, if you are not uh, disabled, and you want to play a disabled person, I would say there's something wrong with you. <laughs> 
Well, actually, okay. you know, the, the the community would come after you for doing exactly. that when because it's like, oh, now you're playing somebody you're, who's disabled and you're not you're disabled. So. But that's yeah. also a weird thing because now there's a a new book for playing uh, disabled, not not probably not really disabled people because you that limited limits. Uh, limit I'm sorry. Yes, I call it limited heroics. There are ah, symptoms limited. of everything. I guess it's not really this, it's probably not not really to play disabled people, but to play people with depression. You have, or you have a disabled yet to generate disabilities. But that's a kind of weird because you can it's, you can generate them randomly because if you generate a character who has no who has no harm or something like that, you can play it because it would be offensive if you do have a harm. So <laughs> I don't know what how how can you use that. It's really strange, but people won't pro probably won't use it. They just want to buy it. Yeah, there, that is that is the thought. Uh, there is another idea I, I have about that, too, and, and it may be for the longest time, you know, people have said that role playing is a form of therapy. And maybe people are taking that a little too close to heart. And so yeah. maybe they want to represent themselves with their same disabilities as a character and I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's, it's a way that they can cope with their disabilities by thinking, Oh, I, my character has, you know, depression and, and anxiety and all this other stuff. And so does my, you know, my character does and I do, but if my character is successful in this game, it will make me feel better because, you know, at least I know that I could accomplish something. And I'm kind of like, but that's not really how it works. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that is not what defines you. I would say your your mental problems don't define you. Your disability, mm -hmm. your physical disabilities, don't is not what defines you. Or your skin color, that's not what defines you. It shouldn't be right. It's your personality. It's the whole package. It's not the label. Exactly. I mean, if if all you see is the disability, then you you haven't seen the person. Um. The other thing I liken it to is, um, I made this joke a long time ago, but uh, I don't know if you remember from back in the, I want to say the early 2000s, 2010s and all that. Um, you know, they had uh, Guitar Hero, the video game. Yeah. Uh -huh. where, where, you know, people would, you know, play with the little toy controller guitar thing. Um, and, you know, and people would, you know, post pictures of themselves playing through it and all this other stuff and... I would always shake my head and, you know, I told people more than once, I said, you know, here's the thing. You can be the world champion at Guitar Hero. But I guarantee you, even if you are a crappy guitarist in real life playing in a band, you're going to get a lot more women than you will if you're a Guitar <laughs> Hero champion. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Very likely. And it's, it's it's the same kind of thing I liken it to, you know. It's like why why would you fake it, you know? Just <laughs> just do the just study the real thing. Just do the real thing. Don't don't fake it. But is no point to in fake it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because tried. because learning to play, you know, an actual guitar would be harder than, you know, playing guitar. Imagine girl. I have no mu musical talent. So yeah. for me, it's a big challenge. I can play a tuba. That's about it. <laughs> Not really useful. <laughs> you Not know, good I mean, for getting ladies, no. 
No, it's. I mean, you, you know, that's a the definition of an optimist is a uh, tuba player who uh, has a business card. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but uh, I I noticed that uh, probably something like 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 you were telling before um, in horror games, people are trying to do something like. Um, Something like the what uh, sadomasochism. Yeah, we see a lot of that in the new cult players. Yeah, uh, that's what uh, got me out of that. Uh, that's why they want the safety tools because they want to explore some weird things. Not really, not really their reactions to horror, but probably some other stuff. I'm not really sure what, but well, they, they use a lot of uh, words that come out of uh, sadomasochism, and probably, I don't know. It's it's strange. If people want to do that, why not do that? Not not uh, playing role playing games. Yes, is not sexual a, role play. It's not the same. That's yeah. attention, people. <laughs> sexual role playing. It's not the same as tabletop role playing. Okay. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. If if you want to get into that, just join your local BDSM group. Yeah, don't <laughs> don't do better. it in your role playing. <laughs> much better. <laughs> much better. Um, more fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um. But that that's also that's kind of funny too. Uh, you know, the nicest people that you meet or you know, uh, sometimes when you bring them into a role playing game, and they know that there is no consequences for what they do, will turn into the most evil characters. Um, take for example, uh, on my channel, uh, Grim ran a you know a one shot Morkborg game. Uh, set in his Whitechester, uh, you know, world for myself and a couple of other people. Well, one of the other people who was playing with us was our friend Esh. And Esh has never played a role-playing game in his entire life outside of, you know, video games. And Esh is the sweetest guy that we know. He's super nice, uh, you know, just all these things. I, I would never have anything bad to say about Esh. But for some reason, he's playing the... He, playing the game for the first time he's playing some kind of a sorcerer who has a, a hellhound pet and before long uh on the in the game stream he's asking grim he says if i sacrifice this entire family can i get a bigger <laughs> pet or a bigger hellhound and all this and we're just like what you mean all these people we're trying to save <laughs> well that's probably makes sense right you didn't have it wasn't the he wasn't a player, right? a usual player. So, uh -huh. yeah, you're thinking about winning the game. Yeah, like in a computer game. It's probably the same thing. I don't know. Probably the same thing. Um, yeah, we, we have another player who, who plays with us uh, uh, in some of our other games, and, and he can almost go completely uh, amoral as far as his character acts, despite the fact that he's, you know, he's a moral, upstanding man in reality. It's just... He gets into games and his, you know, he just switches off and just says, you know, we're going to do whatever has to be done to accomplish the mission. If that means, you know, like we have to kill all these children to get <laughs> to point B, then we're going to do that. We're not going to yeah, go around. That, that's, a, that's a game. I can do it both ways. If I decide my character is uh, a lawful abiding person, I'm very annoying. It happened. The other players want to do bad things and I say, OK, you can do bad things, but I don't agree. <laughs> That's not right. If I decide to go the immoral way, then I'm totally immoral and I don't care. 
I yeah. rarely play because normally I'm a game game master. But when I play, I'm I usually I'm a psychotic. <laughs> I draw the line I, at killing pets. No, no dogs and cats. I won't. This, I won't do that. There's another example that you're dealing with your your issues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I'm used to being a game master, so I'm psychotic. Makes I've always noticed too that uh, people who play game master the most are usually the hardest people to run for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I usually uh, spoil everything. He destroys the game. He does that thing that you're not expecting. Yeah. It's like, what the hell? You're not supposed to do that. That's why I play the psychotics because that's the, the easiest way to destroy everything. You just do unexpected things. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting to see how other people react to that. Yeah, it is. Um, this part of the fun of role playing, though, is just seeing people's reactions to things that happen in the game. Yes, that's 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 exactly that. That's why uh, safety tools don't work. <laughs> that steals that uh, that uh, enjoyment. If you it can does things that there's well, then there's no surprise. Uh, there's going <laughs> to happen this, and then there's, there's a guy. Okay, X card. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. X card. Oh, we just shut this down. <laughs> Spoils everything for everybody. And then there are other people around the table, and then they don't they aren't necessarily uh, offended by the same things. And there's one guy that I don't yeah. like Is dust. Running so. the game for everyone. I don't like this dungeon. <laughs> Somebody should have cleaned it. <laughs> it's too dirty. Yeah. It doesn't have wheelchair ramps. Yeah, wheelchair ramps. <laughs> this is the thing, because even if you want to play a disabled character, you don't need wheelchairs. It's a fantasy world. You should have well, a, actually, better, a better way to do it, right? Actually, after after looking at the stats on that combat wheelchair, it'd be like, uh, every character should be running around in one of these, not just <laughs> the disabled people, because it it's, makes you so much more powerful. Okay, so I mean, it's, it's like an armor then. It is basically because you, you have to get through the wheelchair's hit points before they get through yours. So, so it's enclosed the, the wheelchair. No, uh, par I, partially I think on no. on some side or something. Um, it's been a while since I've looked at it, but it has all these magical add-ons that you can put onto it too that make it more powerful. Okay. So. <laughs> uh, well. If you use the, the wheelchair, you, don't, you won't die. Yeah. So everybody wants to play a disabled character. Why not? I'm missing a toe. I'm going to take a combat wheelchair. <laughs> I don't know. So uh, the best thing is probably uh, leave all those games behind and play something else. There are mm -hmm. still some games that uh, aren't like that, right? Yeah, a lot of them, um, you know, and a lot of them are still being produced today. Um, there are a lot of OSR games out there, mm -hmm. which, you know, OSR can't doesn't necessarily agree with itself either. I mean, you know, a lot of us OSR players, we get into fights with each other as much as anybody else. But. But I, we like it. I mean, we, we like the systems better. You know, there's nobody telling us what to do. There's no overarching narrative of people telling us, you know, not to play it or anything else. Um, I think that's the hilarious thing about 5th edition D&D is the fact that for years and years and years, we've told people, it's like, you can play this game any way you want. You don't have to follow these rules. You can throw this out. You can you can change it up any way you want to to, to suit your tastes. 
And Wizards of the Coast, rather than sticking by that, have decided, uh, okay, we're going to change up everything to favor this very small minority of people who want this game this certain way. But do you think they are listening to Twitter and they think that that minority is bigger than what it actually is? Or are they just focusing on the new uh, players or the possible upcoming players? Both. And that and who they have hired uh, yeah. is more in line with these newer players than the old people. I mean, as I, I mean, and I guess it kind of makes sense from a realistic marketing sense. It's like, you know, I'm almost uh 49 you know I'm, i'm not getting any younger and a lot of the other osr players were old uh you know yeah. you got maybe yeah maybe 30 40 years left of playing before you know we either kick the bucket or have dementia and can't play anymore <laughs> or something else so and that's uh, assuming that people don't uh, just give up playing before yeah. old age for yeah, other exactly. reasons being yeah. a parent or a grandparent or something like that Yeah, children take up a lot of time. Yeah. Um, but there but, are some, some of the, the OSR uh, creators uh, from the independent uh, uh, side of the, the business. For example, the Pundit, is, uh, he has a lot of following. Mm -hmm. Of course, this is, a, this is a small niche, but still, it's... Uh... He, he lives pretty comfortably in Uruguay from yeah. it, so... <laughs> Of um, course, it's a, it's not the U.S., but uh, okay, it's he it, still can live there. Now, um, I don't I don't begrudge the guy. Uh, I'm glad that he can he can still make money on. It. I don't agree with everything that he says. In fact, I there are a lot of big things that he says I absolutely don't agree with. But uh, the problem is, is he is right about a lot of stuff. Um, you know. I wouldn't say everything that comes out of his mouth is something that you should take to heart, but definitely he has something to say and you should listen. Um, honestly, I, I think somewhere between listening to Grimm and, and listening to RPG Pundit, you can find kind of a happy <laughs> medium on games and where they're going. And at any point when the two cross... Uh, and are giving out the same information, that's when you know it's the truth. <laughs> the interesting thing is that they are both entertaining and uh, pleasant to, to hear. <laughs> well, hopefully you, you'll be watching my show and, and we'll find us entertaining and pleasant to hear. We've, we've had some good guests on uh, here recently. Yeah, um, I've, watched yeah. Some, I've watched some of your shows. But sometimes you're talking about things that uh, I'm not uh, following, for example, comics and, uh, and uh, Star Wars, for example. And uh other sides of the pop culture other than the role playing games but i have watched some uh, some of this weekend geek yeah that's what we uh that's why i have two different shows and maybe i should set up two different channels but right now i'm just trying to grow one channel mm -hmm. um yeah. it's hard right if you split it then you have the followers split it in two so it's better to have two programs in the same channel mm -hmm. but my our dungeons and discussions is pretty much what focuses straight up on the rpgs yeah. Um, but the funny thing is because Dungeons and Dragons and Wizards of the Coast keeps hitting the mainstream pop culture media with their antics, we get kind of forced to talk about it in the week in geek all the time. So, it's, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. It's constantly coming in the uh, social media discussions about, uh, well, 
I think Wokeness. they do it on purpose because that was the, the some people were suggesting. So the coffee shop adventure is this for real or are they making mm -hmm. fun of us? Well, and that's the thing. Um, look at all the other topics that are exhausting themselves as far as pop culture goes. Uh, comic books. Pretty much people have given up on that. Um, you know, the you Japanese manga. Them? Me? No, I don't buy the I don't buy comics anymore. Uh, I buy old comic books, but uh, and I buy manga. I buy manga all the time. But that's the thing. Manga is outselling comic books. So kind of the discussion and the door on comic books is closing because, I mean, every day, you know, if something new comes out about someone doing this, that or the other, it's like it's slowly fading away. But they keep insisting um, on that, right? They keep... Uh... Well, they they haven't uh, changed their uh, policy about they are woke and uh, they are still trying to to get the woke to buy them their books, but apparently it's I not don't enough. Think kids will will buy because they will not buy comics. They don't read mm -mm. books, so if they're kids trying don't. for it, they're doing. I think not right. They're doing it wrong. Yeah, if they are uh, uh, choosing uh, kids as they their main audience, that's. Probably wrong. Well, I look at it like this, okay? I mean, your average comic book costs like four or five dollars now. Um, what kind of children make that kind of money? Yeah. So, who is this really being marketed at? You know? Um, I mean, I remember back when I was a kid, you know, I wasn't, I didn't get very much money but every once in a while i could save up enough money and you know buy a new you know dungeon module or uh if i got lucky you know like i had like a some christmas money or some birthday money or something i had i would have just enough money to go out and buy like a manual like you know the monster manual or something like that um these days i don't know uh what is it like strixhaven is like what 60 bucks no, that's that's expensive. Yeah, and it has very little content. Yeah, well, it seems so. <laughs> and uh, the the content it has, it's not very interesting. Not unless you want to relive your high school days. Yeah. Or... <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to do that? Yeah, high school wasn't fun for me. <laughs> no. Or it's a, it's a college. I I yeah, it was a college thing. But... Yeah, but it looks like high school. That's what everybody it does. says. It feels like Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. It truly does. Um, and the whole goal of, of that setting is to build relationships and all this other stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> don't you do that organically while you're regularly gaming anyway? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't need a book for that. Yeah, I don't need a book for this. I don't need a mechanic for this. I, I can handle it. <laughs> And if the GM is any good, they'll play into it. And if he, um, if he isn't good, well, the book won't help him anyway. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing, you know, I had people getting up on Twitter saying, oh, the coffee shop adventure is just a joke. It's just tongue in cheek and Strixhaven is just kind of a joke and quirky and tongue in cheek and all that. And I said, yeah, and yet that's not the way they're marketing it. None of the... Yes. None of the stuff in it is saying that it's jokey, funny, quirky, or whatever. 
It is um, too expensive to be a joke. Actually. Yeah, sixty bucks for a joke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a sixty dollar joke. joke. Yeah. Yeah, it's too, too much for a joke. Well, uh -huh. the, the free adventure, okay, you can joke anyway. Yeah, it could be a joke, but the uh, strict heaven, the book is too expensive to be a joke. Mm -hmm. um, the free adventure is not a joke either, because um, for one thing, your characters earn money, but also they use that coffee shop as a way of building up relationships in the game. So therefore, it's as serious to a character in that setting is as uh it would be to your character if they went out and killed a dragon in a regular game you know yeah oh so. yeah in, in their uh, in, the, in the fiction it uh it makes sense for 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 that so it's well uh, yeah it's not a joke it looks like mm -hmm. a joke for for us but it's it's really not a joke mm -mm. they probably will say it's a joke just it depends uh, yeah what how things go yeah if people like it, it's not a joke. If people don't like it, it's a joke. It depends. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you probably just get those people who would buy Strixhaven just in case it has some extra stuff in it, like um, like the owl people and all that stuff. you know. And there's people like that who will do that. People uh, buy everything. Yeah, there are people yeah. that still buy it. Also, they don't like it. They are still buying it. Oh, yeah, I, probably. Yeah, we are, no problem. we're always uh, uh, encountering that people who, who are criticizing fifth edition and saying, oh, this is all bad and I hate it, but they still buy it. So, yeah, OK, you're criticizing. You don't like it, so don't buy it. Just buy something else. I think that's admittedly the problem. Yeah. And I mean, and OK. Admittedly, you know, how many times have you bought something just because there was a new race or a new weapon or, or something in the game or in the module or in the book that you really, really wanted to have stats for, but you didn't necessarily need all the other junk? Yeah, it probably happened, but yeah, but not with the game that I hated. <laughs> yeah. I do wait the game. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's happened somewhere before uh, buying something just because there was something there that I really needed. But for a game that I liked, not a game that I hated. If right. I, if I hate the game, I stop playing it. I won't uh, insist on it. Even exactly. if you like the game, but you are mad with the people that created it for some reason, right? Because they are destroying yes. it. Well, I, I stopped, for example, uh, I stopped playing a lot of games uh, before. The cats are going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I stopped playing games because things change and the, the game is not uh, the same anymore. So uh, it happens. If you don't like the game anymore, just stop playing it. That's exactly. I would say. But... Um, something that kind of made me sad was, um, you know, Paizo came out with Pathfinder 2 and I gave it a chance. I, I bought the first monster manual and the, the main book. Uh, I mean, like immediately when they first came out, because I had them on pre-order. So I was one of the first people to get it. And I sat down and, you know, the first thing I do with any kind of new game system is sit down and build a character because that's going to be the main thing focus for me it's like how fast how quickly can i build a new character how fast can i get him in the game because that's going to inform me of a lot right there um 
because of the way they had that book set up and the information was arranged, I couldn't even get through it because I was so confused having to go back and forth and trying to learn new terms and all these other things. And I'm just like, it's not worth it. It's so it's so different from Pathfinder one and it doesn't even feel intuitive. So why am I wasting my time with it? Uh, and none of my players want to play Pathfinder two anyway, because we were already so invested in Pathfinder one. But uh, the thing that made me sad is they came out with an adventure in Pathfinder 2 where they introduced a new player character race called the Shuni, which are <laughs> they're pug people, you know, like the Chinese <laughs> pug dogs. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, they're, they're adorably cute. And I was just like, oh, man. So I'm, ac- I'm actually considering buying that one module just so I'll have stats on these things. Um, that maybe I can convert over to, uh, you know, 3.5 or Pathfinder 1. Yeah, so, sometimes happens. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm like any GM. I'm not afraid to steal a good idea if I find it somewhere. But. Sure. Yeah, it happens all the time. You have to find it. And sometimes you have to pick up other games other than the one you're game mastering. Definitely. Drive-through RPG is really good for that, though. Yeah, the the PDF is it's cheaper usually. Yes. It's very bad to spend money. Yeah, so, if you if you can get away with free, free is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh, difficult to find something free now. Uh, there's still some some free books, but uh, most of them and the 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 printed books are getting uh, more expensive all the time, especially when they are, for example, uh, something like Wizards of the Coast. As mm-hmm. you were saying, the Strix Seven. How many pages is that? Not many. I haven't even I haven't even looked. I never bought a copy of it because I'm like, nah. <laughs> but you said sixty bucks. That that could be a core book for something, right? Exactly. A big one. Mm-hmm. And probably it's, uh, not, it's not. It's, it's yeah, I'm pretty sure the art is not that good. It isn't. I've seen it uh, from Grimm's review, and it, it's not. Yeah. Uh, the, and I think he, I think he paid full price for his. So he was. <laughs> uh, that's the only time I've ever seen him get angry in a review. No, oh, yeah, he was. He was quite angry. <laughs> right. But <laughs> I didn't saw that one. But that's the thing. Uh, you know, on, on my show, on both of my shows. Anytime I'm I'm talking about games, I will always point out uh, anytime that somebody has a free set of rules that you can download and check it out for yourself. Godbound has a free set of rules that you can download and you can check it out for yourself. Lamentations of the Flame Princess has a free set of rules. Um, there's a lot of companies out there who are making good role-playing games, especially OGL stuff, you can download their rules, and a lot of times they're free, especially if they're like uh, slightly bigger than, you know, just drive through RPG. It's just kind of like, okay, if you really like the game and you get invested in it, then maybe you're going to want to buy the hard books and everything. But if you, if you just want to check it out and see for yourself, you know, download the rules. Use them if you need to. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a useful way. I just bought, uh, well, I ordered it, um, Lamentations last mm. I'm not really thinking about running it, but well, everybody has, so I want to check it out. <laughs> just 
And so, well, the 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 PDF, the free PDF doesn't have any heart, so that's not. I want to see it really. I'll, I'll oh yeah. Books. I you like will. <laughs> I like it. I like uh, shiny things. I don't. <laughs> just the, just the PDF is not enough for me. I want to see the the real book. And that's fair. Um, it looks much better usually. I, I don't I don't know if you listened to that five and a half hour talk I had with James, but <laughs> uh, yeah, part of it. <laughs> yeah, it's five and a half hours. I had to talk to him the whole time. We probably could have gone longer if I hadn't had things to do, but <laughs> but um, you know, I I praised him for some of the changes that he made because he basically he took the old Moldvay Red Book and he changed it up to where it was just better overall um i mean he even incorporated elements from ad and d into it uh so it's i, I don't want to say it's perfect because it's not perfect but it is it's really good it's very playable uh it's very usable um it does kind of give me the the sense that you know the characters are uh, maybe a little bit more disposable than some systems, but you know, uh, a lot of the problematic spells were taken out. Um, weapon damages are pretty generic. It's uh, really quick and easy to get into, um, and he does have a a skill system built into it too. So it's it satisfies everything you need for. Uh, a decent role-playing game. And because it's OGL, you can take any other OGL product and just plug it right in. Mm -hmm. What caught my attention is the the art and the the fact that there are some... Uh, well, it's not politically correct. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Not so at all. That's what usually gets my attention. And it's uh, darker, right? Yeah, it's darker than Very that. dark. I like dark fantasy. I prefer my fantasy dark and low with low magic, just low fantasy. Grim dark. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, they're uh, waiting for uh, White Chester. You guys probably would like the Berserk anime if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, no, someone suggested that a while ago. I'm not sure who, but yeah, probably. Everything that's dark, it's usually our our yes. thing. Well, I would I would recommend if even if you don't ever read the manga, and I would recommend reading the manga, at least watch the show. Yeah, it's probably easier to watch the show. <laughs> Berser Berserk, right? That's it. Uh huh. Okay, let's. Yeah, let's this is the playlist. Yeah. Um, and there's an older anime that was. Uh, also, that was pretty dark too, although it's harder to find now. It's called Bastard. That one I never heard about, probably. Oh yeah, so. it's from way back in the eighties. Oh yeah, okay, probably. That's although Ber Berserk is from back in the eighties too, so all that stuff. Well, but that one, I I'm pretty sure that someone recommended that not long ago. I'm not mm -hmm. sure what who was. I never got a lot into anime because I think. When I was a teenager, one of the big things it was Sailor Moon, and that ah. is there. And the most, I think, most popular animes were kind of stupid and childish, so I never got into the the real, the good Dark. ones. Exactly. Yeah. When I was a kid, there was uh, there were several Japanese uh, animations on TV, uh, 
Conan Future Boy and something like that. Not quite uh, the same thing, but uh, they were popular. But then there was a transition period and uh, every cartoon here were, was American. So that's probably why I never got into it. Uh, we read the Marvel comics and DC comics and we watched the, the American cartoons, but uh, Japanese, they only got uh, popular here around late 90s, probably yes. mid 90s. And, and it was not the very good ones. Yeah, like I said, it, I don't think it was the, uh, the very good ones. Dragon Ball and something like that. Yeah, so there Moon Dragon Ball and then Samurai X. Oh yeah, the, the very popular ones. Yes. Um, it, was a, it, it was a strange way to, to introduce that to the market. I don't know. That's what that's how it happened. And uh, a lot of kids back then were interested in it, but I, I was already in college, so it passed me by. Well, do yourself a favor and, and check out the Berserk movies uh, or the TV show. Actually, the movies are probably better to start with, but the, the TV shows are good too. start there. You'll you'll be glad you did. I promise. OK, because it's because it's dark. It's very, very dark. And the characters are. Probably more realistic than your typical anime characters. They they're not. You know, pure good guys, pure bad guys, or anything like that. They're they they're very much the shades of gray characters that you might uh, uh, be able to role play or something. Or put that on our watch list, certainly. Well, I think it's getting a bit too late for us right here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, thank you for coming. Um, no We'll, uh, well, everybody, uh, of course, uh, watch the show, watch T-Shirt Historian, This Week in Geek, and uh, what's the the role-playing? Uh, Dungeons and Discussions. We're, we're going to be on tomorrow at 9 a.m. in the morning. Okay, so be sure to watch that. I'm going to watch that one, too. And Okay. okay. Now, thank you for coming, and uh, have a nice week. Thank you. You too. Y'all have you. fun Bye. and enjoy Bye -bye. Berserk. Thank you. Bye-bye.